Welcome to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey of Kiss Organics. This is the podcast where we discuss the cutting edge of growing from a science-based perspective and draw on top experts from around the industry to share their wisdom and knowledge. This week's podcast will be a bit different than my usual topics. As many of you know, there's more to cultivation than just what happens in our gardens. Whether we like it or not, taxes and proper accounting are crucial to keeping our businesses afloat. I sat down with two CPAs, Betsy Morum and Mark Waller, who have founded an accounting firm specializing in working with folks in the cannabis industry. My upcoming podcasts include another visit with Suzanne Wainwright-Evans, also known as The Bug Lady, to talk about what she has learned and encountered since last being on the podcast, and I also had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Abby Wick, who is an assistant professor at North Dakota State University and is an extension soil health specialist. Her knowledge of infield soil health practices and cover crops was really incredible, and I'll be putting that podcast out here soon too. Now on to the show. Hi, Mark. Hi, Betsy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having oh. us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Now, uh, I heard about you guys because uh, I heard Mark talking on Clubhouse about a particular form that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but accounting is something that is is not not that you know something that we normally talk about when we're talking about cultivation. But I wanted to cover this because I think it's something that we all have to be aware of. It's just the reality of growing an illegal market. And uh, so I wanted to have you guys on to talk a little bit about what you do and how, uh, you know, accounting fits in um, and the finances fit in from, uh, for the cannabis industry. Can you guys give me a little bit of your background and talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I'll start. So, so my name is Mark Waller. I am a CPA. I co-founded Morum & Waller CPAs with Betsy Morum, who's with us here today, obviously. And uh, our, our biggest thing that we do is really provide world-class accounting services for cannabis businesses uh, for month end, annual compliance, uh, all the way down to your, your audits that you have to think about. And we really try to use kind of a data-driven tech-forward approach. So one of the things that's unique about cannabis with regard to other businesses is that cannabis businesses don't have as many tools in the toolbox that most businesses do. They are very stringent on what they're even allowed to do at all with banking. There is There are many regulations for banks that say you can't work with cannabis due to it being a federally illegal substance uh, on, on schedule one of the, the uh, federal government's schedule of, of drugs. And because of that, there are there are some banks that do work with with cannabis businesses for sure, but there are not very many. And even the ones that do work with cannabis businesses are fairly well regulated. So it's almost uh, it's it's almost like uh, searching for something that you aren't quite sure to find. That normally any business can go down to the corner and and find a bank, and and most banks are happy to pick up new businesses. It's, it's much trickier for, for cannabis businesses. So we, we really try to be kind of a partner with cannabis businesses, knowing, knowing what we know about partnering with other banks, uh, making sure that they have banking services, and then providing end-to-end uh, -end accounting services so that uh, all of the different things that become very complex, especially for cannabis growers, um, we, try to, we try to cut down that that red tape as much as possible. 
Betsy, did I? Yeah, Betsy, do, can you yeah. give me a little bit of your quick background here and then we'll dive in with some, I've got some questions for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Betsy Morum and I'm a CPA as well, co-founder of Morum & Waller CPAs. Um, I got into, I became interested in the cannabis space a couple years ago, um, but but didn't really um, get into the accounting side of things until last year. But I have been providing accounting services for small businesses since about 2014. So um, I think that that experience of working with startups and small businesses from the ground up has really helped me with cannabis clients because a lot of these clients are starting from, from ground zero. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to be joining forces with Mark and to be providing world-class services to cannabis clients across the U.S. Great. Well, I guess, uh, you know, for me, uh, I guess my first question would be, um, what are some of the things as someone who is setting up a facility or a, a grow, a legal grow in a state, what are some of the things that you guys are seeing as potential pitfalls or roadblocks that people should be aware of? So I think right away, it's the challenge of just finding a bank is it hits you right in the face when you when you first start. Um, we we work with some some startup farms and uh, you know some of them are are lucky enough to to come to us with uh, a banking relationship in existence. And other, some of our other clients are coming to us and saying, you know, we we have a license, we're ready to start. We bought some land, but we don't have a banking relationship yet. And cannabis or not, not having a banking relationship really puts you at a disadvantage right away. For account for accounting because once once if you don't have a banking relationship and uh, you're tracking things either through your individual uh, your individual accounts sometimes maybe you have cash that you're working with but it makes just the day to day record keeping much hairier than it really needs to be which is unfortunate because so many of our clients that we work with want to do the right thing. They want to, they want to be, uh, you know, upfront with their record keeping. They want to keep things really organized. So it, it really puts them at a disadvantage. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been tracking federal, federal banking bills. And, uh, I think, I think there's one in, in the, uh, the federal government right now that has some promise of happening. Um, but you know, there's, there's no guarantee that it's going to happen this year. Uh, so, so for the time being, growers that are starting a new farm just get faced with with that reality right away um that's not even that's not even getting into some of the other things that cannabis growers have to think about like section 280e um handling cash handling internal control for cash um irs audits uh you know banks requesting information etc um just getting off the ground is hard enough so so mark um Along those lines, if you were, say, a grower coming into the legal market and you may have been on the medical side and working strictly in cash, you know, you may or may not have been paying taxes, um, you may or may not have claimed all of this cash, do you have to be able to show where all the cash came from before, you know, when you go to set up a banking relationship? And then if so, um, you know, how does that work from an IRS perspective, I guess? Um, 
you know, when establishing a business primarily from, you know, a business has been run by cash for, for years. Absolutely. So, so one thing that, that kind of goes unnoticed is that there is an IRS form called form 8300 that any business that is handling large transactions of cash over $10,000 is required to fill out a form 8300 every time they have those transactions. So just the administrative burden that alone is is huge and so short of having a, a strong you know a banking relationship in place uh growers really have to think about compliance right away and it's not uh it, many many small businesses and uh are set up um the irs i should say is is geared toward helping small businesses get started but uh for cannabis businesses they the irs does what they can but but they are faced with something that's that's really just kind of a it's a, a beast right from the get-go so i do want to talk a little bit more about for 8300 but I, I guess my question is you know if let's just say i had a few hundred thousand dollars in cash and i wanted to start a legal cannabis business um how do, from an accounting perspective how does that happen or is that more of a legal question um, in terms of, I assume you need to get the money into a bank and set up a banking relationship to where you can start accounting for things, uh, so that you have an audit trail, uh, that the IRS can yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, if, if there isn't a banking relationship there yet, it doesn't mean that we can't do our accounting. Um, it just means that how we do our accounting is going to be a little more complex. Um, we do have. Uh, within our firm, we have kind of all the work papers that we need to to kind of handle any type of situation. So, so cer certainly, there are are businesses that have started that that don't have a banking relationship. Um, they may have an attorney that they've hired and are tracking a few different things from how they're creating their entity. You know, a lot of a lot of new cultivators who are looking for investors, for example, might be looking to. Uh, uh, be founded as an as a C corp, which in many respects is is more beneficial to new businesses that are looking for investor dollars. Um, so there may be already some of these professional relationships set up. Um, then what our job is as as their their accountants is to track any of those those contributions to the new entity, um, any expenditures out of the new entity. You know, what we try to do is kind of tailor our accounting software in a way so that you can kind of track any any owner contributions or any owner distributions, legal invoices, any you know, any of those types of things that that come into play, especially from from a startup uh, free revenue standpoint. But it is really important to capture all of those things accurately because regardless of what you have going on, uh, once you start that entity, the, the clock is ticking on filing uh, your annual reports with the IRS. And certainly with the way uh, IRS is is going right now, there's there's a federal movement to beef up the, the budget of the IRS to increase uh, tax compliance and collection on tax revenue. Um, I would I would be very surprised if there wasn't also an increased uh, compliance effort made by the IRS, especially toward cannabis businesses that because of Section 280E potentially can earn more tax revenue. And that, and that's a thing I think this is this is just me opinion opinionating here, but 
I do think when we're talking big picture about Section 280E, certainly as, as legalization becomes a bigger topic federally, um, 280E is, is a big piece that obviously a lot of people want to go away, but the elephant in the room is if that goes away, where does the revenue come from? So there, there's certainly a delicate dance being done, I think, in the, in, uh, the federal government with respect to that, that it would be great to legalize tomorrow, but there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out before that happens. Okay. Do you have any recommendations for a new facility in terms of potential banks to look into that you've worked with or also um, accounting software that you really like? I mean, we use QuickBooks online right now, but I've used a variety of different accounting software um, on my end. What do you find uh, most popular for, for both of those options? I can answer that question, Mark. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I think in general, um, those that are looking for banking, I, I would I would look to your local credit unions. Um, we've with with our clients, we've found that uh, they're able to establish banking relations relationships with more credit unions. Um, and and I in general think that credit unions are, are great to work with. Secondly, in terms of the accounting software, Mark and I um, we use two different mainly two different systems, QuickBooks Online, TAD, which you said is what you use, and then Zero. And um, I know some people have run into issues with QuickBooks. Um, some campus clients have run into, into issues with QuickBooks. So we are sort of guiding most of our um, new clients in the direction of Zero. Um, but you know, in general, what's great about both systems is that they're both web-based. So that gives that gives cultivators um, better access to their books, being that they can just you know log on to the web at any point and and take a look around. So, if I, if I may uh, add to that a little bit as well, um, yeah, like Betsy, like you were saying, the the web based tools are really nice. And one thing that that makes working with businesses, not just cannabis, but all, all businesses right now, really interesting from an accounting standpoint is is because all of these tools are online and so many of them are built to work together and interact with each other and having a, a an online platform for your base accounting system like quickbooks or zero gives you a big advantage going forward because as more tools especially in the cannabis industry get developed all of those tools are being developed in a way that makes it so that it interacts with your accounting software. So I would I would advise I'm I'm personally not um, for or against any of any of the different accounting systems. I think they all have have pluses and minuses. But I would definitely advise if you're thinking about going online versus going desktop, I would definitely advise going online. Yeah, the cloud-based systems are great. I've actually done a lot of research on this for my company. Um, because we were using QuickBooks Desktop. Uh, one thing I'll say is switching uh, financial software is really challenging uh, from a comparative perspective year over year. So once you pick one, it's really great to stick with it. Um, Zero is great, 
you know, it's, it's actually spelled X E R O for people who want to look yes. that one up. Uh, but for me, it didn't work because, uh, here in Washington state, if I ship something to Eastern Washington, I have to pay sales tax based off of that location, not off of my location. And, uh, some of these, for some reason, zero just didn't offer that functionality at the time. And so we ended up going with QuickBooks online, uh, just strictly for that reason. But, you know, sure. looking at what other software integrates in is really important, too, because, you know, I've had to have, uh, you know, apps and other software allow me to connect my Shopify site with, you know, QuickBooks desktop and all this stuff. So, yeah, I, I, that's less of an issue for a cultivator, I think, as it is for someone in the retail side like me. But, um, yeah, definitely look into that. The pros and cons are great. And then... Um, in terms of uh, credit unions, yeah, I've had the same issue that you guys mentioned. Um, my bank, basically, you know, they told me not to answer that I work in the cannabis industry because technically I'm not growing cannabis. So they were they felt okay mm -hmm. about that. But if you say yes, you do, which you have to legally if you are growing, um, it really limits your ability to to do a lot of banking stuff or work with a lot of banks. Like I've been denied loans just because they you know, Googled my name, I think, and decided that I was, you know, I fell into that, into that category. So, right. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. As far as specific banks to work with, um, if, if a new client comes to us and doesn't have a banking relationship established and they're in another state that perhaps we're less familiar with, we have contacts um, within our network who can offer up suggestions um, of credit unions within that state, that state that, that work with cannabis clients. Great. Great. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about section 280E. I am looking at the definition for people who aren't familiar with it. Uh, it's a section of the IRS code that forbids businesses from deducting otherwise ordinary business expenses from gross income associated with the trafficking of Schedule 1 or 2 substances, which is where cannabis falls. Uh, can you kind of explain that in uh, more, you know, more common language as to exactly what that means for a cultivator? Yeah, absolutely. So... Section 280E, your definition that you read is, is, is spot on. The thing that makes it tricky for cannabis growers is really twofold. One is the, the record keeping that's required to kind of have your ducks in a row with respect to ensuring that you would be able to make it through an audit of the IRS are very tricky. And, and the reason for that is is just like you said, is there are a number of different expenses that for a quote unquote regular business would be able to be deducted. You're you know, basically kind of anything outside of the realm of the actual production of your product, uh, rent expense, uh, you know, utilities, uh, you know, meals and entertainment, travel, things like that that are a normal course of business type of expenses are generally not allowable to be deducted for cannabis growers. So until 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 the federal law changes to move cannabis off of Schedule 1, that is going to be the law of the land. And what that really means is you're paying more in taxes. And obviously nobody wants to pay more in taxes, but... <laughs> That being said, 
you run a big risk by trying to push the envelope too much with regard to what types of deductions you take on your tax return. There have been a number of, oh, go ahead. Oh, so just to clarify, you know, if you're working with a CPA that's not aware of this and say does take these as business expenses, you talked about meals, entertainment, um, you know, some of these other things like utilities. Uh, if you get audited, you will have to pay these taxes plus potentially uh, penalties or back taxes on Absolutely. Um, on this. Sure. So in the long run, it, it could end up costing you quite a bit if you don't claim this up front. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, like I was saying earlier, there there's definitely going to be an increased presence on cannabis as more and more states become federally legal. And there is just the kind of this 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 uh, unfortunately not many many CPAs will touch cannabis because of all the reasons that we've talked about. And so there's a shortage of good CPAs that will help uh, growers navigate through these kind of tricky, tricky situations. So, you know, along these lines, uh, the one that I see a lot on my end as being a, a someone who provides soil and, and nutrients and those sorts of things is some growers that we work with will give us a resale certificate or some sort of agricultural exemption, um, either in the name of the business or in a shell corporation of the business that owns that business. Um, is this okay? Because it's about 50-50 here in the state in terms of people who pay the sales tax that are growers and those that, that hand me a certificate. And essentially by giving me this resale certificate, it's passing the buck. So if I get audited, what's going to happen is they're going to say, hey, why didn't you collect you know, sales tax from this grower, this company? And I'll say, well, they gave me this resale certificate and it kind of passes the buck and they'll follow up potentially with that company and say, hey, why did, you know, are you charging the sales tax on your end? Does that work with cannabis is my question? Because I know, you know with farmers and other uh, non-cannabis companies, this isn't really an issue, but I, I, don't, I don't know with cannabis. Yeah, that's a really good question. I I would be really cautious about not doing as much as you can to stay in compliance as a cannabis business. Just because as cannabis becomes legal, there there's still all of these different issues that cannabis businesses are going to be facing. There's you know, it, if if it turns federally legal, there's still likely going to be you know, local opposition, you know, certainly you'll see, you know, even in states where cannabis is legal, there are often uh, groups of local municipalities, sometimes municipal, it depends on what the state law is written like, but occasionally there can be municipalities that say, the state law says that cannabis is legal, but we don't want cannabis in this town. And so there is, there's, I would always advise any of our clients to be overly overly compliant more than than try to push the envelope just because there's going to be a huge target on on their on their backs so i, I do realize my question is is a state tax question versus a uh you know national or federal tax which is what the 280 e refers to um you know here in washington for example if i'm 
uh, if I'm making, you know, a product and I use these inputs to go into my product, I don't have to pay sales tax on those inputs because I'm going to be charging sales tax to the final user. So I'm not being taxed twice for the same product, but, um, I, I, maybe that's a state specific question. I, I don't know if that's something you've come across. I was just curious. Yeah, I, I think it's going to it's going to vary state by state, obviously. But um, I do think that's going to be something every state's going to deal with maybe slightly differently. But ultimately, what's going to be most important is that you are doing what you are supposed to do to pay, pay what tax that you need to obviously try not trying to overpay tax by any by any means, but but doing everything that you can um, all the way down to something, something like uh, an exemption certificate, uh, sales tax certificate, uh, exemption uh, forms that you may have to fill out for your states. Um, just doing all of that as, as above, above book as you can. Have you worked with any Canvas Corp uh, companies that have been audited yet and seen anything there that were um, things to watch for, I guess? Uh, we haven't we haven't worked specifically with them, but um, we've we've definitely as as part of the national network of CPAs that we're involved in, we have have seen other accountants in our network that have had that happen, and uh, you know there's there's been a number of different court cases, some that have gone all the way to the Supreme Court that uh, a lot of us are tracking really closely. Um, most recently. Uh, the the case regarding Harborside, which is a, a cannabis business in California, uh, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they still ruled uh, in favor of maintaining Section 280E. So there is there is still quite a bit of um, uh, work to be done. I would say you, you know it, the IRS hasn't gotten to a point yet where. Um, point where like I've seen in other industries um, in my prior experience in public accounting, for example, um, in the mid 2000s, the IRS uh, audited many credit unions. And that was a result of uh, finding parts of their business to be not uh, not really part of their exempt mission, which resulted in a lot of credit union businesses um, paying more tax than they needed to or that, that more tax than they had expected to. And that really was a result of what the IRS, I think, is doing right now, which is kind of gearing up their budgeting. And certainly, you know, cannabis could be a target for increased audits like that in the future. We don't know for sure. We don't know for certain that that's going to happen. Obviously, the IRS is not going to come out and say, hey, we're going to audit you. But um, it certainly certainly would make a lot of sense that that, that would be coming. Especially with the, the complexity of the accounting, um, it, it just, it feels like cannabis, client, uh, cannabis, the cannabis industry would be sort of an easy target um, for ad additional revenue for the IRS. And I, and I would say too, um, I've actually been on conference calls with, with the IRS who section that would be dealing with this. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people have, kind of a bad feeling about the IRS that they're they're the big bad guys. Uh, but when you actually work with the people that are in charge of these, they don't they want you to stay compliant. Um, in fact, they they really like working with CPAs like our firm because 
they're not necessarily the subject matter experts either. And they want to make sure um, the way that they approach things is doing it right. And they, they look to see what's going on in the industry as much as we look to see what they're doing. So um, I, you know, <laughs> and maybe this is just me having, having worked uh, with, uh, with the IRS for many years on many different areas, I don't see them as the big, bad, scary, you know, wolf in the corner necessarily, but you do want to make sure that you're doing what's right and, and following what they have to say. They have actually over the past year, they have released more information about marijuana related businesses. Um, actually, if you Google IRS marijuana, um, they put out a really nice webpage uh, probably six months ago that that starts to talk about some of these things. So I would just say they're not they're not scary necessarily if you're doing things right, but you want to do things right. Yeah, you know, I've had a kind of a, a roller coaster relationship with IRS myself. You know, we got audited, uh, you know, before we were ever even doing business in the cannabis industry. And uh the lady who came out and did our audit was really nice, but man, it's, it's a ton of hours. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of work. And even if you're trying to do things by the book, it's really easy to screw up. Um, unrelated to that audit, I, uh, got a letter in the mail. Oh, it was probably like 10 years ago now from the IRS saying I owed $15,000 in back taxes. Uh, and basically, uh, what happened was I had, uh, you know, when I was setting up my business PayPal account, I had put in my social security number instead of the business UBI number because it had a spot for my, for a social security number. And then when the laws changed around, uh, the accounting for, you know, companies like PayPal right around that time, um, they came after me for claiming I hadn't paid taxes. Now I paid taxes on it through the business, uh, because it was business income. That money did not go directly to me. It went to the, the business, which was owned by my parents at the time. Uh, so we had accounted for it there, but getting this corrected with the IRS, uh, I probably had 60 hours on the phone with them at least just on hold and then talking to them. And, you know, they're like, Hey, you need to go into the local IRS office. So then I have to go in, make an appointment. Uh, and the lady there, like she legitimately laughed at me and she's like, you're wasting my time. I absolutely cannot help you with this. You need to go, uh, you need to go back and talk to them on the phone. And it was a nightmare the whole time. You know, I've got this $15,000 bill that's accruing, you know, more and more penalties. And finally, I ended up paying my CPA at the time um, over $2,000 to essentially just write a stupid letter saying that uh, we'd accounted for it another way. But, you know, it took me about two months of trying to get this figured out. And, uh, it was a nightmare. And even then, you know, having to pay that money to my CPA, who I think overcharged me quite a bit. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it's, it's not fun. And it, it's really easy. You know, it was a simple mistake I made. I just, I saw yeah. a spot for a social security number. I put it in and I shouldn't have, I should have used my federal tax ID. So it's just the little stuff like that, that can get you. And it's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can believe that. <laughs> it can be really scary. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the value that we bring uh, to clients is making sure that they're audit ready at any given point, And ultimately that helps them sleep at night. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of priceless to the, to the business owner. 
It absolutely is. And I want to say that's sort of how I heard about you was because I was listening on Clubhouse and heard Mark talking about Form 8300, which was one of the reasons I, the, the main reason I wanted to get you guys on the podcast because I had never heard of Form 8300. And uh, so, why don't we start there and then I'll share a little bit of uh, my backstory on it. But um, could one of you describe what that form is and how it relates to, you know, our industry? Yeah. So, so basically any, any cash payment that is over $10,000 uh, must, anybody who receives that type of payment should file a form 8300 with the IRS. Um, so, Obviously, for cannabis businesses that don't have uh, a cash, uh, a bank relationship, or do a lot of work in cash, um, that requires quite a bit of extra paperwork that that uh, has to be kind of earmarked by Form eighty three hundred, and there are penalties for not filing those 8300. So when we talk about potential audits that could be targeted toward cannabis businesses, certainly that's going to be one of their the, the IRS's tools in their toolbox of saying, did you do you have cash? Yes or no? Obviously, a lot of the business businesses will say yes. And did you file all your form 8300s? Most likely, there's going to be a lot of businesses that have not done that. And so that's just going to be, you know, low hanging fruit for, for audits. Yeah. So when I heard Mark talking about this, uh, it kind of surprised me because I had, I had heard something around this $10,000 mark and I've taken a few transactions like that. And I thought the bank was filing them on my behalf. Uh, and so if I ever deposited more than $10,000, they would fill out a form and send it off. And I thought that was the end of it. And since I'm doing everything legal, I, I figured that was enough. Uh, what I learned was the bank doesn't send anything. Um, they have an internal process over, and I, I can't remember the number at my bank. It might've been 5,000 or 8,000 where they make a notation on my account, but they're not sending anything off to the IRS. It's, it's my responsibility to fill out this form. And, uh, the other thing I learned was that, um, all transactions that are considered related and exceed that 10,000 as a whole must be reported. So it doesn't matter how many transactions, transactions, a deal is broken into or how long within, you know, a 12 month period, if you space it out, if the IRS considers them related, you can be penalized for failing to file. So, uh, there's some nuances with it that go along with it too. And as someone who tries to follow the rules and, you know, as someone who tries to be compliant, this was something that I had you know, drop the ball on strictly out of ignorance. Right, right, exactly. And I think that's, that's going to be the case for a lot of, a lot of businesses, because it's also not a very widely, uh, widely circulated piece of information. Um, you know, the IRS, you know, I talk about their website, they, their website is actually very good. And it does have very good resources about this. But it is fairly clear, when you read into the the form 8300 reference guide um, on the on the IRS website, what is required and and what uh you know what you could be facing if you don't do it so you know you scroll all the way to the the penalty section and it goes right into civil penalties uh for negligent failure to file can be up to you know starting with a hundred dollars not to exceed not to exceed 1.5 million for, for calendar year so range 
they absolutely do not mess around with this. Um, obviously, the the purpose of Form eighty three hundred uh, is a good one. I mean, it, the the real purpose is to provide an audit trail for uh, to to avoid anti money laundering, basically to to enforce anti money laundering efforts. So having a paper trail with the IRS certainly it covers you. Uh, if you are dealing with a lot of cash transactions and they are all for legal cannabis, certainly you want to have yourself covered as well as, as a business owner. Um, but well, yeah, go I, I would want to be aware too, if someone else, you know, if I'm paying with a cash transaction that they're going to be listing this down because you actually um, put the identity of whom the cash was received from. You can select if you right. think it's a suspicious transaction um, if you don't get all the information that you need from them, but it, it's a fairly um, extensive report and you have 15 days from the time of receiving the money to get this filed. Um, so it, it's good to know, like I, now that we know about it, we're absolutely doing this. And so I have to talk to growers and say, Hey, you know, if you want to pay me cash, be aware that this is a form that I have to fill out legally. Um, yeah. And so they're aware that their name's going down in this information. Now, the other thing too to be aware of is, you know, whether they deposit that cash directly into the bank account, you know, um, or they, um, you know, send a cashier's check or a money order. All of those things are considered cash. So the, the only, just be aware of that, that, that you don't get around it by, you know, doing money orders in thousand dollar increments. You're still expected to fill out this form or someone's expected to fill out this form if you pay in that manner. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that, that was the biggest thing I wanted to cover in this podcast because it was, it was totally new to me. Um, so, uh, thank you for allowing us to get that out. Is there, is there anything else in terms of, you know, p potential things to watch for or even things, you know, warning signs, maybe that maybe your CPA isn't up to speed on your industry. Uh, what are the, the, the things that like, I'm thinking as a grower, what, what can I look for to sort of improve my accounting process? Um, I can start with that one. I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about cannabis specific things such as uh, section 280E, you know, increased compliance efforts that are required for banks for cannabis. But I always come back to the accounting 101 uh, are your accounts reconciled and it doesn't matter if you're a cannabis business or you're a flower shop in town or you're a restaurant if your accounts are not reconciled if your inventory is not reconciled if your cash is not reconciled those are also low-hanging fruit for for the irs and for auditors honestly uh there there are a number of different places both in the IRS website, um, banks, et cetera, that expect that as a business owner, you have reconciled uh, reconciled accounts. And that's challenging enough, let alone having all of these extra complications as a cannabis owner. But I, you know, when we start working with new clients, we we reserve about 90 days just to clean up your books, especially if they're if you're a a business that's coming from one accountant to another, uh, there's always things that we need to clean up to make sure that you're running like clockwork on a month end basis, because that that's that's your minimum 
requirement as a business owner is to have clean books that anybody can can look at and and review and and uh, feel confidence in. Betsy, did you have anything you wanted to add in that regard? I think Mark said that perfectly. Um, if anything, I would just say, you know, um, if if you're a business that um, I, I think some people like I'll, I'll use the analogy: if you haven't filed your tax return for five years, um, <laughs> some <laughs> people might feel embarrassed to approach a tax accountant um, with that information. But we are here to to help business owners, and so um, I, I would just encourage if someone is feeling intimidated by um, by everything that has to be done from the accounting perspective, or if they're feeling behind just to, um, you know, not, not feel embarrassed about what they are, be, where they are, because we, we can always, you know, do our best to fix things retroactively. So um, the important thing is just to kind of get, get things right going forward. Absolutely. And just to end on a positive note, I do have a very good friend who was on the medical side, wasn't paying taxes and, you know, for over a decade and was able to get into a legal cannabis facility, get, you know, get squared up with the IRS by working with directly with the IRS and his CPA. And, uh, you know, in a few years time was able to show enough income to get a mortgage, purchase a house and uh, be totally legal um, and above board. And uh, for him, in this case, just the amount of uh, stress and, and everything in getting that all right. resolved was huge. You know, knowing that he was above board with the IRS and, and it was able to fix some of this stuff. So you absolutely can get it done. And, it, you know, there is, there is some work to do there, but it's, it's absolutely possible. Yeah, well said, well said. All right. Well, I, I super appreciate you guys taking the time during, uh, I know your busy season to, uh, come on the podcast and talk a little bit about accounting. Um, if there's anything else you'd like to add before we uh, end the podcast, uh, feel free. Otherwise I just want to thank you for your time today. Thanks so much for having us, Tad. Yeah. Thank you for having us. All right. Have a wonderful day. That was Betsy Morum and Mark Waller, and you are listening to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey of Kiss Organics. Don't forget to check out the podcast page at www.kisorganics.com. Just click on the Learn tab, then Podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a moment and leave us a comment or review on whatever platform you listen on. I do take the time to read them all and appreciate the feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at KISorganics to stay up to date on the latest podcast releases and information. Thanks for listening.